It's the HTYC Podcast, episode 61. So all of this insane story sounds awesome now. People tell me like, oh, what an amazing story. But the truth is it was super scary and really nerve-wracking and difficult. And that's, you know, to be expected, but... The whole time it was like, well, where do I, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? You know, I'm the little girl in the blind melon video looking for the other bee people. You know? <laughs> this has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am super excited for our guest today because he he's, he's made a few kind of crazy career transitions. And we were just talking about some of those right before we hit record. But he's scientist turned management consultant turned developer. So he's not really a stranger to the career changes that we talk about here all the time. And right now he's actually the managing director at San Francisco based Thoughtbot, a company that focuses on designing and building digital projects and primarily software as a service tools for, for other developers and designers. And, and he also specializes in Ruby on rails. He hosts the reboot podcast, which is a show that highlights people who've made those big career transitions and and he's got a PhD in biochemistry too. So welcome, Adarsh Pandit, to happen to your career. Did I, did I say it right this time? Yeah, no, that was great. It was, I appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. When you say all that stuff, it sounds, uh, it sounds like it's been a lot busier than it feels like. That's kind of always how it is, though. Uh, I think so, anyways. Uh, yeah, I should note, though, that we as ThoughtBot are based in Boston, mm. but we have an office. We have eight offices throughout the world, and I'm I'm uh, responsible for the San Francisco office here. You're based out of San Francisco. ThoughtBot, however, is not 100% based there. Right, yeah. Very cool. So we've yeah. got all kinds of stuff that I wanted to ask you. And, you know, just like we were talking about, this is, this is going to be much more of a conversation more so than anything else. And, you know, I... I really want to talk about first some of these different career transitions because how how does this happen first of all let's let's start there <laughs> how does it happen yeah. well I think the basis of it really comes for me from growing up in the Detroit metro area which as you might imagine is filled with automotive engineers of mm-hmm. one stripe or another my dad was a General Motors lifer engineer. I think he did uh, 37 years before retiring. Wow. And uh, my brother's also in the automotive industry as an engineer working for a supplier. So I grew up around fixing things in cars and, you know, I'm not particularly great at fixing cars, but I've definitely changed the oil in a car and I can fix a boiler and, and the heater and that kind of thing. So it became a little mechanically inclined, but everyone around me was an engineer and so I decided as a rebellious teenager to do something totally different, which was science. And I mean, as rebellions go, it wasn't that dramatic, but uh, I was really interested in science. And so when I got to college, I decided to not study computer science or computer engineering, which was kind of the thing that I was interested in as a, in my hobby. Um, but I followed science instead. I was kind of thinking about medicine and I realized quickly I was grossed out by 
things medical. And, yeah. but I liked the science classes I was taking. So I got into chemistry and uh, I just said, well, if this is interesting and fun and I'm doing okay at it, why don't I just keep at it? Um, so I wrapped up in college. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and uh, go blue. It's a great place. Go blue. And after that, <laughs> After that, uh, I did a year of kind of wandering around and figuring out what I wanted um, to do. And the people I kept talking to said, oh, you know, it'd be great for graduate school. You should go do a PhD in, in chemistry, in biochemistry. So I said, sure, why not? And uh, they paid me to go. It was not much, but uh, it was a job in a way. Uh, so I did that for a long time, uh, six years uh, most people finish somewhere between five and seven years. Uh, it's not really a defined length thing, yeah. but it's more when you're when you come to good conclusions, you have enough work to publish. So I did that, but along the way, I was really excited. I was really excited about the people that I was working with. I had an amazing advisor who was extremely supportive. Uh, I had great colleagues, really smart, funny, awesome people. And I love the work too. I wasn't particularly successful at it. I don't think I was a bad scientist, but I wasn't amazing. And in the environment of academic science, you do need to be amazing to be able to get uh, professorships at top universities, which is what I was aiming for. So, so tell me about that. So you didn't consider yourself to be an amazing scientist. What's kind of the distinguishing factor, not just for science, but for anything in your mind, at least? So, uh, you know, particularly within academic science, there is an element of, with all things, hard work is, you know, increases your chances of success. Yeah. Uh, but within academic science, there is a bit of targeting the right problems and luck to some extent. Um, a lot of the bench work that I did, the wet uh, lab work, um, you know, I just, I was fine at it and I could kind of go forward and, and dig into a problem there are some people that I, around me that were just gifted. They were just far better at it than I was. And, and But what I did enjoy and I did well at was discussing the problems and discussing the sort of theory and the math and all that stuff. I mean, I really got a, a charge out of that. Um, but the really what it came down to was I looked at so my advisor still did experiments, but most of them didn't. When you became a professor, it's like when you become a manager in any other job. You sort of stop doing the job and now you're an administrator. Yeah, yeah. Right? Which and, is I a mean, different like, job. I mean, it just it's a is, different job. Regardless completely. of if it's involved in the same thing. Yeah, we see that in the in the programming developer world all the time. Like sure. Some of the most talented developers end up getting promoted as managers, and then they're unhappy because they'd rather be writing code, right? And surprise, then, surprise. Yeah, and you look back, and it's like, why... Why is our economy set up this way? Anyhow, so I looked at my professor, who is an amazing person and accomplished a ton. He's now chair of the department um, in Chicago. And I just thought, you know, I don't, I'd rather be doing science, but also he's got to be out funding the lab the entire time. He's got to be out writing grants and, and uh, drumming up support and yeah. running the operations of the lab, which is sort of input is grant money and the output is papers, publications. Um, and you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't see myself doing that in the long term, And so that was kind of, it's disheartening because the whole setup is really geared toward you becoming a professor. Um, but it's insanely competitive because what really happened in the economy of kind of science and academia is that, uh, the number of professorship spots grew at some rate. 
Uh, and the number of people graduating with doctorates in those disciplines grew at a much faster rate. And so that gap widened from the 60s on to, you know, today. Yeah. Where now you have 10, 20, 30 people vying for these spots. And what underlies that is that a lot of these people are, are cheap talent is really what it comes down to. A graduate student is extremely educated, driven, cheap talent. So if you can fund more and more of these people to do your work, um, you can get a lot more done. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but whereas in the sixties you would graduate out of your PhD and go right into, you know, Cornell or Harvard or wherever you would go and get a professorship. Um, because the community was small over time there became, you know, like this widening gap and kind of the demand supply curve got out of whack. And so it just got a lot harder to get those jobs. And so, Looking at that, I realized like I just don't, I can't put the effort in to get these these jobs because I, I don't know, I just I wasn't passionate enough. And there were other people that I knew who were just better at it and would do a better job. And so that was that was kind of what I decided is that you know this isn't really right for me. But I had no idea what was right. So why did you? Because you've obviously come full circle to some degree. Because it sounded like you knew what it was that you wanted to be involved in initially. You said, hey, I had this I had this initial interest towards more more towards computer science than anything else, but I went this other science way anyways. Why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. It um it was more of a hobby than anything else. And even in graduate school I was doing part of my work was computational. So yeah. I had um collaborators who were in the in the computer science department or in the chemistry department and we built you know computing clusters and did interesting things that definitely didn't do most of the heavy lifting but I was def- interested you know I'd install yeah. Linux on different machines and run web servers and just kind of fooling around <clears throat> um, but I didn't really think of it as a job I could do and I think this is a theme that came up and I think it comes up on your show too but sure. it comes up on in the interviews that I do on reboot, which, uh, which are really like people don't, people didn't know that something was a job. They didn't meet anybody who had that job. And they, so they didn't understand what that career was like or what the responsibilities were like, what the companies were like. Yeah. And so I just had no idea that being a, I mean, in a way I knew a programmer was a job, but I had kind of imagined it was like office space. Like you work at (laughs) Unitrode or Initech or whatever it is. In a second, somebody's going to come in and ask you for your TPS reports any minute. Right. (laughs) That's what programming was to me, and that's what I thought it was like. Um, So, you know, I guess that's that's why I didn't really think about it as as a direction to go in. Um, But it was just something that I did for fun. Um, When I finished graduate school, I, I was pretty lost, and I didn't really know what to do. So I came up, you know, I had this this plan and it was sort of this crazy plan that I wrote on, on a napkin one day. And the plan was interview for as many jobs as possible mm-hmm. and then evaluate. That was it. It was step one. Interview for as many jobs as possible. <laughs> that's the whole plan. Awesome. Step two, evaluate. Okay. So, so what, what came what out of this then? Well, see, I interviewed for all kinds of different jobs, all kinds of jobs I wasn't qualified for and others that I was overqualified for. One was, I remember, 
like a quantitative hedge fund trading analyst at the Chicago Board of Trade. I was at the University of Chicago. Yeah. And it was like knowing all these algorithms and math and doing all this high frequency trading and they asked me all these questions about what my investment thesis was and all this stuff. I just had no idea. And so pretty quickly that didn't work out. And they said, you know, well, you're not the right fit for that. Another one was like investment advisor position where you, it's like a sales position where you get all your friends together and try and convince them to be their investment advisor and like manage their finances. Gotcha. And yes, that was another one where someone was like, why do you have a PhD? You want to do this job? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I just, I'm interested. And so every one of these interviews I took in earnest, really trying to learn a couple things. One was that I was really trying to learn what jobs were like. I, I just took that approach that I just didn't know what a job was in a way. I was in academia until I was 29. Um, so I wanted to learn. I wanted to meet people and get a sense. It was research. I approached it like a research project. Um, and I did, I think I did like 20 or 30 interviews. And the side effect that wasn't planned but came out of it was that I got really good at interviewing by practicing. Right. I practiced on my own and with friends, but also I put a suit on and went into 20 or 30 different interviews and I got my story right by the end of it. Which makes a world of difference. Like I, I think it, people underestimate that. Um, so, I mean, I interact with people all the time on <laughs> through happened to your career that, you know, they're in the place where it's like, well, I kind of know what I want to do, but I'm not going to get interviews. So they mm -hmm. never even, they never even try. And then, you know, even if they could get interviews, they're not that great at it in the first place. And, you know, people put up these barriers and excuses and stuff, but I was, I was kind of similar, like the way that I got good at career transition is by going and making tons of career <laughs> transitions. Um, and you know, to your point, like if you go do 30 or 40 interviews or something like that, you're bound to get good at it just through the trial and error process, or at least better than most other people. Right. So I, I think, um, I'm, I love this first of all, because, um, you're proving so many of the thought processes wrong about, well, I guess those, those mental barriers, wait, I don't have any experience for that. I can't even get an interview. How am I going to do that? Right. Yeah, and it's it's really practice. I mean, it carries through everything else that's happened since, which is, as a developer, everything we need to do is about practicing. It's about yeah. craft and, yeah. and quality. You know, I, I was listening to some of your discussion with uh, Jody Maybury about when you were a contractor, and, you know, even when you're painting walls or, you know, doing any construction work, that's all craftsman, craftsperson work. Totally. And getting good at that is about practice. So... It really wasn't, you know, and it came, I, I want to, like, all of these things sound like I had some great plan in place, but it came from, it really came from being a researcher and being naive is really how that came about. And I said, well, this is a problem that I need to solve, which is what do I do with my life and, like, how do I approach it scientifically? So that's kind of the way that I went forward with it. And the other thing that's great about doing a lot of interviews is you get a lot of feedback, and that feedback is either you get an offer or you don't, or you can talk to people and say, and they'll immediately go, oh, that's really interesting. Or, you know, tell me more about this. Or I just want to talk about your hobbies. Like sometimes interviews can go in a lot of different directions and you can be prepared for a lot of versions of them. So it was great. I mean, I always recommend that to people and I don't think anybody's ever taken me up on it, but it's, I, if you have the time and energy to do it, you know, I definitely recommend it. Well, and I mean, so... I know a couple of different folks that have 
gotten that same type of feedback either through interview process or one guy in particular, um, guy who I've recently just gotten to know, um, guy by the name of David Nihill. He wrote a book called um, Do You Talk Funny? And part of his story is that he uh, he was terrified of public speaking, and he went and um, started doing stand up comedy, which sounds like a funny oh, way to go, you know, and and get over your fear of public speaking. But you know that's what he started doing, and and through that he'd get all that feedback on a regular basis, like really, really, really quickly feedback to be able to perfect that that craft or that art of being able to tell stories and you know get laughs and and, and everything that comes along with it. And it's the exact same type of process. Um, and geez, that's ridiculously valuable because where else can you get all that feedback? There's not too many places in your life um, unless you're doing something over and over and over again, like in front of people where they're going to make a decision that is semi-critical for some purpose uh, where you're going to get that that feedback. So that's I think that's really great advice. Yeah. And I mean, your your show is better in episode 60 that you've recorded than episode one, right? I'm Jeez, imagining. I hope so. <laughs> I would it's be just, really embarrassed if it weren't. <laughs> it's just, it's practice and repetition and diligence and, and all the stuff that, that is, is corny, but you know, it's not, it stands as test, the test of time. So people don't want to do that though. They don't. Although to me, it's easier like I find it easier than worrying about what I should be doing. Like I'd rather have a plan for something that I do and then I, I can do it and then I can look back and go like, all right, did that work or not work? What would I change? All right, I'm going to do it again, but I'll do it slightly differently. Or I'm going to go interview at this place and I won't wear a tie. Or I'm going to go this place and I'm going to talk more about school or I'll talk less about school. Like you, it's iterations to me. And to me, that's less nerve wracking than going into that first one. And I think... And the, I think the pe- reason people don't want to do it is not because they're lazy. It's fear, right? It's, yeah. it's the fear of getting started, um, you know, it, it, uh, with any habit. It's really a, a series of habits in a way or, or practices or routines. And those are the things that I, that worked a lot for me. So talk to me about that, like how that's actually worked for you. So you've made, you know, these several different career transitions, and what most people I think would consider them fairly big. But I think as we get into it a little bit, you know, what I'm starting to see is that there's some things that relate to other things and, and you've taken the approaches with and you've kind of learned more about yourself along the way and then carried some of that with you. And, and I think that's how it normally happens. It just doesn't seem like that on the outside for anybody. But, you know, where where has it been in the case where you've incorporated some of this feedback, where you've gotten over over these fears and just started? It's some of it is just um well i i think that to get to to start i i think that the trick is really to talk to a lot of people and to get a sense of what's going on or what the world is like or what an industry is like or what the people is are like and it'll help you alleviate a lot of those fears so let's say um you know i'm a big fan of stand up comedy as you mentioned you know you mentioned stand up comedy i'm yeah. i'm a fan of that I don't, you know, every now and again, I think, you know, I could do that job, but I don't really, if, if I were to just start cold and try and say, all right, I'm going to figure out how to do this, it would be pretty difficult. I think that the, the way that I might approach something like that and the way that I've done this in the past is to just go out and talk to people that have that job. So when I was finishing graduate school, there was a, uh, internal university network where, uh, you could get to know, you know, it was like a, like a career board for people that already had jobs to help people who 
were just finishing. So I made liberal use of that and I called all kinds of people. I called venture capitalists and I called people who started businesses and I called other scientists and I, you know, all kinds of people. And I just asked for informational interviews. And that was the real, that was the start of all of it for me. It was that I, if somebody told me in the career office, like, oh, just call these people. They'll be happy to talk to you for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And you can just ask them what their job is like. And I said, that's great. That's what I want to know. That's perfect. So, you know, at that point I had, I didn't even have a target for what I was interested in. So, I just talked to everybody about everything. And the more I talked to them, the more that they would ask me questions. And they would yeah. go, well, what are you interested in? Or what kind of person are you? Or do you enjoy this? Or do you enjoy that? And then they, they're they helping you refine your own thinking and reflect back at you what you're, what you're telling them. So, you know, the, the one thing I've, I tell a lot of younger people at our company or even people that I meet or if I ever get the chance, this is the one thing I wish I knew when I was 22 is to network. And networking is sort of a dirty-ish word, at least in the programming industry and science. It feels like very businessy. People hate But networking. really, yeah, but, the thought of what they think of networking. Yeah, but really what it is to me is making friends yeah. and getting to know people in a casual way. And the, the, the huge surprise is that other people want to know you. Like, I just never, I never knew that. Is that, you know, I cold email or tweet people all the time. In San Francisco, it's very common to do that. But even outside, if you just tweet people, you know, I emailed you out of the blue. And I was like, I like your show. I'd love to be on your show. And you'd be surprised at how responsive people are because they were all in the exact same situation beforehand. Yeah. You know, not knowing what's going on. But also the other element of it is it's an investment. So the more people you know, the more opportunities come your way and it just kind of has this multiplier effect and it helps every job I've ever gotten is through networking. And so I think the networking is powerful for opening up opportunities, but it's also powerful for helping you, helping me shape where I think I want to go. And let me break in here really quick to say that if you need some help shaping where it is that you want to go, because you're in a similar struggle to what Adarsh was, and you don't know what it is that you want to do, and you're overwhelmed trying to figure out what all the options are, and maybe you don't even know exactly what those options are, then we have a free course to help you. We've talked about it before. It's our eight-day course that uh, you can take over email. And all you have to do to be able to enroll in that is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470. And you can even just pause it and do that right now. HTYC to 38470. So where do you want to go next? You've, you've, I mean, you're at ThoughtBot right now. What's, uh, what's the long-term plan? Will you be there for the rest of your life? Will you, what, what do you want to do next? I don't know. Um, ThoughtBot's an amazing place to work. I should probably close the loop on how I got from graduate school. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that first, and then I'm going to come back because I'm, I'm really <laughs> yeah. curious just because no, it's a of how you, have, how you have made some of these transitions I think is, is just unique compared to many people that I met because you're approaching it from um, that, science, you know, that science background and, and it, not so much the emotional background that most people are buried in. Well, so, I mean, I was, I was in that emotional place for a long time, but in, only through talking to people did I get you know, take steps further. So 
specifically, a guy that I went to college with was at a management consulting firm called McKinsey. And mm-hmm. he said, oh, you know, I work here and, and they take people like you who have these advanced degrees and you can be a consultant. And I was like, I don't really understand what that is. So I talked to him and a bunch of other people and learned more about what that job was. It sounded interesting. It sounded in a way academic. Like there's a, there's a, again, like a research and analysis component to it. And so he coached me and helped me uh, through the interview process, which by that point, because I'd been practicing, I wasn't nervous at all. I knew kind of what my story was. Yeah. Um, not that I'm some great orator, but again, I just practiced a Practice, lot. yeah. And I did well enough on the interview to get an offer, uh, which is you know, I think a pretty tough, it's one of the more difficult interviews to crack. And, and it just, even the, the way that the interview runs is a case interview. So you get a kind of fake business problem and you have to talk your way through that. And I, I just put, someone told me like, you just put the hours in, like put in 10 or 15 hours a week for a month or two months or something. And you'll just get a lot better at it. And I said, okay, this is a solvable problem. And so I did the same thing. I practice then with myself, with the career counselors, and and then I did okay, and I got the job. So I was at McKinsey as a consultant for uh, two and a half years in New York, and that was a great, amazing experience. It's a great organization. It's the standards are incredibly high. The problems that they work on are really interesting. Um, why did you leave? Why did I leave McKinsey? Yeah, what uh, what took place that caused you to leave? <clears throat> take the, it's a, do the next thing it's a tough well there's a couple things one is lifestyle uh the consulting lifestyle is pretty notoriously not great in terms of hours and travel yeah. so i was pretty regularly doing i mean 60 hours was a minimum you know i remember you know pretty regularly it was in the 80s and 90s per week i my record was 117 i remember i was getting close and it was saturday night and i was like oh i wonder if i'll hit the record this week <laughs> And so I did 117 hours in one week. And then I got sick immediately afterwards, of course. Of course. Uh, so the lifestyle wasn't sustainable. It wasn't something that I wanted to do for a long time. And it got worse as the better, you know, the more you advance in the company, the worse that got. You're on planes all the time. You're seeing different clients. You're living out of a hotel, which, you know, for the first six months or 12 months is exciting and interesting and new. Um, but the, it gets old. And the second one was that I think... Uh, you know, that from, from graduate school, which is complete, literally academic, where I'm studying basic physics of biomolecules and with almost no real direct impact on anything, to McKinsey, which is like, okay, these are real businesses and you're going to do some analysis and research and tell them what they should be doing or help them point them in the right direction or give them some reports or, you know, PowerPoints or Excel and yeah. help them out. It was... It was a step closer to reality and being impactful to other people or businesses, but it was still removed enough that I wasn't quite satisfied. So, you know, we'd help all these people, but all the companies were very large, extremely large Fortune 500 companies. And for them to make any change just because of like business physics, like the size of companies, the larger they are, the harder it is for them to, to change. So, you know, they would, they would take our recommendations and be like, yeah, you know, we'd love to do some of this. And (laughs) sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And so that after a while, again, kind of was like, well, I I don't really know if this is 
quite scratching the itch that I have. So, so I was in New York in, in 2008 uh, when the downturn happened, and and at that point, it, you know, it started to look a little grim. You know, at that point, nobody's going to hire consultants when the whole financial industry is collapsing. <laughs> it makes it more so, difficult. Yeah. So I I went out and again I'm at the same crossroads again. Like, what do I want to do next? Is this it? Because this isn't. It wasn't a job that I want to do again for the long term. But it was really educational and it's a great brand and met a lot of amazing people. So I'm stuck again. And you know where where do I go from here? And I took the same path. You know, while I while I was you know to pay the bills, I, I decided to take contracting work. Not contracting like. The contracting you did, but more like the on same kind of job on a contract basis. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So again, I would just got good at networking and, and talking to people, and eventually I'd bump into people and say, you know, we need help for six weeks on this thing. Can you come in and help us figure out what's going on, or f- help with the operations of this or that? And I said, yeah, sure. So I started doing that, and it was fun to make my own hours. Um, it was nice to have all the flexibility in the world to pick the projects I wanted. Um, and I did that more or less kind of the same thing for another couple of years. And, but again, like i still have this, this nagging feeling like, you know, am I really helping these companies? And, and I'm not really part of the company. So am I really helping them? And along the way I'm tinkering again and I sort of get my laptop set up to start to do a little bit of programming. And, and at this point there's more and more educational materials on the web that make it easier to learn. Um, and it's, you know, the, the whole world of education and technology is exploding. And, but even in 2008, 2010, when I was starting to learn, it wasn't that great. Uh, but I, again, I would go and meet people and I would go and talk to people and I would find people on Craigslist who were like, oh, I want to learn Ruby. Can we meet up in a coffee shop? And, then, you know, two of us would sit there and go like, what are we doing? Like, how do we, how do we make the basics? How do we do hello world? Like, how do we do any of this stuff? And, <laughs> you, know, some t- you know, sometimes we figure it out, sometimes we wouldn't. So you were, to some degree, just, I'm going to say bumping around a, a little bit. And, um, you know, before, before you take us how you got out of that, I'm curious why it was such a big deal to you to be part of a part of a company. Because you said, you know, I, I I didn't feel like it was entirely scratching my itch. And, you know, one of the things that you said was, um, I don't, you know, I didn't really feel like I was actually a part of, you know, part of any company or organization or whatever, or however you termed it. But, like, why did you identify or how did you identify that that was such a big deal for you? And, and why is that such a big deal for you? Because it's not for everybody, I don't think. But Yeah, no, I, I think I think there's a lot of people that are happy being experts and they're happy um, saying, like, look, I'm, I know a lot about something and I'm happy to show up and talk to you about it and tell you what I know. Yeah. And then, you know wash my hands and go do this again later. And I think it comes back to that feeling of like, what have I really, what impact have I made on these clients or, you know, the people that I'm working with. Um, and I think any, any consultant, again, where I work now is actually a consulting firm, but it is different in that we're actually writing code for people. We're delivering work. Um, whereas before when I'm delivering PowerPoints and ideas, yeah, it's hard it's hard to have faith that that's going to turn into something. You know, sometimes it would, but oftentimes it wouldn't. 
And the reasons are not because of the ideas. It's usually because of the people involved or the politics or the other company priorities or something else is going on. That's a great idea, but we're not going to do it because it's going to be really difficult in this environment and these people aren't going to support it and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Um, And, you know, as soon as I started writing software in my spare time and I could create little tiny dumb web applications, I could do work and I would see its result immediately. And that set something off in my brain where I was like, oh, this is really satisfying. I can make a change and build a thing, you know, it's, and, and, and I can see it evolve over time as I work on it. So later in 2012, uh, I, I took, uh, I decided to take six months to, to learn to be a developer. I was at this other firm when I, you know, I just, it wasn't a fit and I wasn't, I wasn't doing good work and I got fired and they were absolutely right to fire me because I just, I was phoning it in and I was still pretty lost and not really clear on what I wanted to do. So, and so this is a, you know, now a really long journey and luckily my wife is very patient and supportive. So she's, <laughs> she, yeah, that's another yeah. career tip is if you can find a patient and supportive wife and, um, definitely find one. So that's, uh, that's funny though. Have you, have you ever read, um, what is it? The millionaire next door? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in that, I, I found it funny. My wife found it funny that, uh, one of the, one of the number one things is that they have a supportive you know spouse or, uh, in most of the cases, most of the, uh, people that they studied were male and, you know, it was wife and everything like that. But that was, that was it. So I, the advice you just dropped, I think can make people millionaires. There you go. End of show. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. Mic drop. Uh, out. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, so, so keep going. It makes though. a big deal. It makes a big difference, and and you know, it's somebody to bounce ideas off of. And as you're kind of beating your head against the wall and going like, "Is this the right thing?" They can reflect to you and go, "You know, this isn't the right thing." And and you know, I got fired from this job, and and for a day, I was just crushed. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm a failure. I've done all these things, and I've had all these accomplishments, but." I've failed at this thing. Like it wasn't even like you don't ever want to be dumped. You want to dump someone else, I guess. But it was a real wake up call. And then the next day I felt amazing. And I was like, okay, I'm back. I have a clean slate and I can really investigate what I really should be doing. It's not writing PowerPoint slides or it's not doing all this Excel stuff. Um, what is it? And you know, it was a lot of self-reflection. I, I, did some research before even starting and, you know, people suggest techniques like mind mapping and, um, like drawing, like just kind of journaling to yourself and talking to your friends and having them reflect who they believe you are and what they're, what they believe you're good at. And it kept coming back in the same way. It's like, okay, there's a creative, there's a creative element to me is what my friends and and colleagues and advisors were telling me. And they're like, yeah, you're really talking about technology all the time. So maybe there's something there. But then I'm at that same place where I'm like, well, I can't get that job. How am I going to be a developer? That seems really complicated. I have no idea how to do that. And I don't so even I know made what a, a list. TPS report is. I mean, geez. I know. Yeah. How are you what does do TPS that? stand for? Do, does anybody know what TPS stands for? I don't know. For? <laughs> no, we should, to find we out. figure so that out. Yeah. If, you, if you know, email us. <laughs> I would love to find out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, so... 
again, I'm going out and networking and talking to people. And yeah. I'm, I bumped into a friend who was living here. I was living in Boston. My wife was in school there. I was in Boston. My friend was here in San Francisco and he had just left his startup company and was looking to learn how to program. He knew how to program in other languages, but not in Ruby on Rails. And so he was like, do you want to work on a project together? I said, sure. So we committed to some number of months to work together and we made a little stupid book sharing application. Um, and you know, it was really helpful to work with another person. Like, again, you hear the theme. Now I hear it my, coming out as I'm talking. Yeah. Like, there's always another person involved. There's always somebody else that reflects things back to you or is supportive or can be helpful in problem solving. And so we, we made this thing. And it's it didn't go anywhere or do anything. It just was a thing that we worked on. And right away I, I knew, like, oh, I love this. I really love this. It's really tangible. It feels really concrete. And I'm... Maybe I'm good at it. I don't know, but I'm having fun. And I started going to the Ruby meetups in Boston, which are awesome. It's a really wonderful community. And everybody looked like people from graduate school. They're goofy. They're wearing T-shirts. They have funny hair and beards. And it's a lot of dudes, And you know, which maybe that's not great. But <laughs> it just felt a lot like graduate school. And there were smart, funny, intellectual people who wanted to do good work. And I, I started to meet more of them and I ended up meeting some people from ThoughtBot um, and, you know, I kind of talked to them a little bit and they said, well, we have this wacky program called Apprentice.io and it's an apprenticeship. It's like, you know, in the Middle Ages, a blacksmith would have an apprentice, you know, some younger person who would learn the craft and watch the expert do their thing and it was based on that. and. So I watched other people and practiced and did exercises and all kinds of things for three months. And I had three different mentors. And at the end of it, the goal, the business goal was to, at that time, the idea was, okay, what if we place people in positions elsewhere? Like we train them for three months and then put them in a job somewhere else and then take like a headhunting type fee. But that never worked. What, ha what happened was that people would hire, I thought I would hire people out of this program and uh, so at some point they just switched it to say like, well, this is our feeder program. Let's just only hire people out of this pool. And if they don't, that should be the goal. So I ended up getting an offer. Um, my wife and I, she had matched for her medical residency here in San Francisco. Yeah. So we were going to move here. There was no office to speak of. It was just Boston. When I joined uh, three years ago, it was, you know, in the teens, the number of people, maybe it was like 17 people. Um, and now it's 103 today as of right now. Um, uh, and there was one office in Boston and now we have eight offices and probably more to come this year. So it was, it was just a couple of, a couple of people in an office doing consulting work and it's, it's consulting work in a different way. It's building software for other people, um, which is great. It's, it's fun and you deliver something that works and you're helping users and it, it just, it's a lot of fun. So you tweeted out. Um, not that long ago, three years ago, ThoughtBot gave me a job and it changed my life. So what were you thinking when you tweeted that? Like, what was the, what was the, give us the context. Yeah, it was <clears throat> three years ago, Friday. Uh, so today's Thursday. Oh, really? So just, just three years ago. Wow. Yeah. Three years ago, Friday is when I started as my apprenticeship. This is very timely then. Yeah, very timely. And so I guess what I was thinking 
is I was just really, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sensitive, I'm a, like a really sentimental guy. So I reflect yeah. a lot on, on the past and, and, uh, I was just thinking, man, life has changed a lot in three years. You know, I moved to San Francisco. I have this completely new career. I have amazing colleagues. I work at this company that's gives me tons of latitude to do interesting things. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. I like our industry. Um, you know, I live in this new exciting city where everything is happening all of a sudden and it's changing week after week, you know, and, and all of it I think is enabled by the fact that I had that opportunity three years ago. And so I was just really appreciative is really what it came down to. So one of my colleagues at the end was like, are you quitting? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just happy and thankful. That's so, all. So it was much more gratitude driven and appreciation driven than anything else. I, yeah, it's, I, a lot of people, you know, open opportunities up for yeah. you along the way. And, you know, I'm, I'm always clearly aware of what would it, I don't know, what would it be like if they didn't open that opportunity up for you? I don't know. So all that in three years. So what do you make out of all that? I don't know. It's, uh, I think, I think what I did, you know, people, you ask me like, what's next and what's the plan? What I actually, so all of this insane story Sounds awesome now. People tell me like, oh, what an amazing story. But the truth is it was super scary and really nerve-wracking and difficult. And I, that's, you know, to be expected. But the whole time it was like, well, where do, I, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? You know, I'm the little girl in the Blind Melon video looking for the other B people. You know, <laughs> like, how do, I, how do I get to where I want to go? And it was really scary. And... I think what I realized is like, I'm going to stop planning for the future, like too far out. Like, I think I plan, let's say three to six months out, where are we going to live? Where do we want to, you know, what kind of neighborhood do we want to live in? What kind of job do I want to have? And that's pretty much it. Things have changed so much for me that I just don't rely on predictions or any kind of plan beyond that. So I don't, I really don't know. To be honest, I'm super happy here at ThoughtBot. We're expanding you know, at a slow and steady rate. And, you know, I'm what's, what's great about this company is that everything's an experiment. It's, you know, there's a little, still a little bit of science in there. Yeah. And, you know, we're experimenting with new business lines and we're trying out coaching. So normally we do longer term projects where it's weeks or months at a time where we're building a project for a client, a digital product, um, designing it and developing it, the whole thing. And it's a lot of fun to see something come from an idea and become a product over time that people use. Um, but people, you know, in between those projects, people have other things that they do or we have downtime. So I was thinking, what if we could sell time in like four hour chunks? Because everybody here is at the top of their game. So yeah. What if you could serve as an advisor or a coach? So that's just something even this week we're testing and monkeying around with and prototyping. And it's fun to be able to have the freedom to do that. And this is a great company for that. Very cool. So I, uh, we're, we're just, uh, starting to run out of time here, uh, but I really, really appreciate you making the time to come on and contacting me in the first place. So I, I, uh, I do regularly get requests for people to be on the show. I think your story fit really, really well. And I think it's awesome that, uh, got the opportunity to get you on here and, and talk about that because the type of stuff that you've gone through is what so many folks that are listening to this show are going through. And yeah. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to, to 
it's why I want to do the podcast. Yeah. It's reboot rebootshow.fm uh, and it's in iTunes. And the reason I want to do it is because I got asked about my story a lot. And so at some point I was like, what if I just record it? Yeah. Then more <laughs> but then also, can hear the story. Yeah. Then I other people said, Oh, you know, I was a waitress at some point and then I'm now I'm a designer. I was this and now I'm that. And these stories are all really inspiring. And I think if it it's helpful to other people, then I'll feel good. Like I'll feel happy and I'll have paid it back to whoever else is figuring out whatever they're doing, you know, in their lives. Very cool. So is that the best place where people can reach out if they want, if they want to get connected up with you or what, what is that? Where can I think they it's go? Probably, probably Twitter. Uh, I'm Adarsh P it's spelled A D A R S H P. And you can tweet at me there and I'm reasonably responsive. Not, I'm usually doing <laughs> something else, but don't set too high of expectations. <laughs> yeah. He'll get back to you when he gets back to you. <laughs> yeah. Within a day. probably. Very cool. Hey, thanks again. I, I do really appreciate it. Now we're starting to run out of time. Do you have, do you have about 10 minutes to hang around for the, um, HTYC one stop extra? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Hey, it's Scott. I just wanted to jump back on here and thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. We also really appreciate all of the five-star reviews that people have been able to leave us and chosen to take the time, make the time to leave us because that helps us get found by other people that want to move to work that fits them. And that helps us get to get to our goal too. So that's why we appreciate it so much. That's why we appreciate you taking the time, making the time. And our goal this year, if you haven't heard about it, is we have a project called Project 357. Project 357 is really all about helping people just like you, 357 of them, in fact, make the move to work that they want to be doing, work that fits them, work that uses their strengths. So help us do that simply by going to iTunes, searching HTYC, finding us in the podcast, and leaving us a review. You can do the same thing on Stitcher, but we really, really appreciate it. And you might even get it read live on the air during our recording. Thank you so much. Thank you. We want to be able to give you a gift. So if you're in that place where you're struggling to figure out what it is that you want to do and are you know overwhelmed and try to figure out what all of these options actually are and which ones are right for you so that you can get to work that you want to be doing that you're excited to get up in the morning then take our free course it's eight days long and it'll change your world well i just got emails from jessica i just got emails from carol i just got uh, emails from a whole bunch of other people just in the last week and a half here you know, from people who have gone through the course and really, really appreciate it and taken some steps to be able to make those changes. So all you have to do is you can go to happentoyourcareer.com slash one stop, or you can text HTYC to 38470. That's text HTYC 38470. Thanks so much. Hey, if you're still around, 
then you're probably an HDYC diehard. So we're leaving you a little bit of an Easter egg. I want to tell you about an event that is not really like any other event that we do, but uh, it's called the Shamrock Shakeup. And St. Patrick's Day is coming up. So what better time to go to the Shamrock Shakeup? Now, we did this last year with a couple other folks. Um, Mark Sievercrop, whom you probably know, Uh, He helped me co-found HTYC. And then also with Jody Mayberry, who's been on the podcast before. He is the host of the Park Leaders Show, owns Mayberica, uh, which does advertising and marketing and a number of other things for his clients. And then also Jared Easley, who is the founder of Podcast Movement and also uh, Podmouth University. Now, this is coming up on St. Patrick's Day. It's going to be 6.30 Pacific time, 9.30 Eastern time. So keep your eyes peeled. We're going to be able to you know, put a place where you can sign up to attend. It's going to be completely free. Last year, we were able to drop some, uh, some pretty useful stuff around networking and building relationships and how to make transitions using uh, pretty unique unique ways. Um, so l- if you want to see that last year, you can still go see it for free. Just search Shamrock Shakeup on happentoyourcareer.com and it'll pop right up. Uh, look out for cadaver jokes and yeah. So more to come. Watch out for these Easter eggs. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.